Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall with my guys Todd Yates and Rohit Malhotra to talk about some Formula One, some testing, some final liveries unveiled, and uh, we got to we got to shout out our our uh, our correspondent Aaron Nojima for for hooking us up with some some intel that we didn't have prior to our last recording, which if you listened was a kind of spur of the moment recording, but before we get into that, how are you guys doing? I'm looking forward to having Todd explain this testing results thing to me because I never thought I'd be the one to get in the nitty, nitty and gritty of statistics when it came to Formula One. I was perfectly happy just admiring the personalities, but lo and behold, Todd's got me looking at spreadsheets, so I'm doing all right. Todd, how are you? I'm just happy that you believe the BS that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> Somebody has to. Yeah. Other than that, I'm fantastic. Excited to talk F1, and we're only like three weeks away. Yeah, it's getting close. Getting close. 18, what, 18 days as of today. So uh, we talked a good deal about Nikita Mazepin last episode. And although I don't think we need to make too many adjustments to our, let's say, our takes. Yeah, our our uh, our loving embrace of of you know the former, the soon to be former Haas driver. But we did we did kind of jump the gun because the news that came out early that day, um, excuse me, was that that Mazepin is basically saying that you know basically saying that there should be a separation between sports and politics. And that seems to be misrepresented as to like how it was spoken. I don't know exactly how it was said, but uh, Aaron shot me a text and, and said that the quote journalist deleted her tweet and retracted the statement, but it ended up, the reason why it ended up blowing up is because Jer Jeremy Clarkson, you know, kind of went all in on trashing Mazepin as, as soon as the other journalist posted it. So, you know, it's all kind of a pending uh, situation with Haas and whatever that's going to look like. I tend to think that your alkali is going to be gone for good. I tend to think that Mazepin is going to be gone for good. And, you know, just is what it is. It is what it is. I understood that the comment went viral. I also don't condone Jeremy Clarkson's language that he utilized to let the world know that Nikita Mazepin is not a very smart individual, but yeah, it's, it's a question of when and not if, and I don't think any of us are going to be that surprised when we get that eventual press release. Now, I think we all will be happy that I think Pietro Fittipaldi is going to hopefully replace Nikita Mazepin in the upcoming season. So that'll be a small win for all things that are decent, but yeah, still kind of stand by the ugliness that this has kind of caused by the allegiances of the Mazepin family, so to speak. So, I, for the record, still do not like Marzipan, <laughs> as Rohit lovingly calls him. Um, I, yeah, but it is a great correction. Like, if it was taken out of context and obviously got shined because of uh, Clarkson's text, I like that you referred to him as a journalist, though, or inferred him as a journalist there. Um, but one fun thing I learned 
after like a year in their them being a sponsor of Haas, it's not your alkali. It's Ural Kali. Who would have thought? Really? Ooh, yeah. Really? Yeah. So I was listening to obviously a bunch of other news podcasts, et cetera, this week. Um, and every single quote unquote journalist referred to them as Earl Cali or Earl Cali or something like that. Okay. Right. So, I mean, that sounds pretty Russian, but I'm still going to probably call them your alkali until they no longer exist in F1 because it's way easier to say. And, you know, us Americans aren't very smart when it comes to no. pronouncing that. Yeah, true, true. I stand by my hosts. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in a slightly lighter note, we had a couple of liveries that were released this week. So let's go ahead and just complete the set, walk us through the last two liveries, and then what will probably be the final power ranking of our favorite liveries for the third straight week. And yeah, we'll go ahead and get started. Who wants to go first? Because I was looking at the Alfa Romeo one, and my goodness. We know we kind of went hard in the digicamo lane, but this is truly a chef's kiss of livery. The only other thing I could say to kind of be a little bit disparaging is the back of the wing has Alfa Romeo in what I can only describe as the Baybell cheese font. But I really have <laughs> a very hard time trying to pick anything in terms of a knit with regards to this color blocking and this colorway. I know I'm looking up the Alpha car because I did not notice the, the font on the wing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's beautiful. I think it's probably my favorite car at this point. Uh, Honestly, the wheels are really what send it over the top for me. Like having the livery incorporated into the wheels is something you don't see in Formula One very often. You know, like even last year when when Alpha Tori ran white wheels, I was like, are they really going to run white wheels during the actual races when the car first came out? So, yeah, I'm surprised more teams don't do different color blocking, taking into account the wheels. And granted, I know Pirelli probably has to drive a hard bargain and the only type of coloring that we see on the wheels to denote its softness or its hardness. But yeah, I was very impressed by the white wheels and I thought maybe that would be a gateway into more teams getting creative with how they choose to express the colors of their car. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's a, Really, really good looking car. Um, I do see the the font on the rear wing, which I think is the same font as is on the side of the car. That's their old school. It is. I'm just being silly because of the red, white, and green, oh. which that for whatever reason just reminds oh, me of Babel cheese. Ah, gotcha. Now I get it. Okay. Yeah, like I said, I'm not too bright. Uh, but I think you you just mentioned color blocking. I think that's the only nitpick with this car. I'm not super fond of like the sideways slash of white versus red i think they could have done something a little bit more interesting there but man the gills the the old school font with the clover on top of it <clears throat> and uh yeah man those i think that's really what takes it over the top is those painted wheel covers having some sort of a design on them like we've seen other cars so far this year that have like a highlight color or something like that but man that that design is real good not as good as the Ferrari still. I still think that takes the cake, but. I was going to get your take on this, Todd. How do you feel since you're also the numbers are when it comes to number placement on the livery? Because we're getting that warped effect, at least in the photos that we've seen. Uh, thank you to WTF1. 
Yeah, that 77 think... looks a little weird. And now that you had mentioned it from the previous episode, it's the first thing I gravitate towards in terms of, okay, how are the numbers displayed properly on this car? See, I, I didn't see that. I did obviously take a peek at the numbers because um, it bothers me on a lot of the other cars. But I think both the 77 and the 24 look decent. I'm looking at like a rear quarter, rear three quarter <laughs> shot, though. Maybe I need a side on type of view. Uh, yeah, I guess I can see how you get a little bit of distortion on the Coke bottle area, but yes. I still think it's not as bad as others. Yep, for sure. Nick, any thoughts on the offer of mail? Uh, so the one sponsor I don't know is Flocky. And is that really a crypto coin based on Elon Musk inspired by Elon Musk. I thought Dogecoin was his. Well, yeah, but it, yeah, it is actually. So this is another crypto that is, <laughs> that is inspired. It's actually inspired by Elon Musk's. Let, let's see what they say. Uh, a new crypto coin birthed by fans and members of the Shiba community. Flocky is inspired by Doge father, Elon Musk's very own Shiba. So, so it's a crypto coin named after his dog. Yeah. Man, back in my day, people would just make Instagram accounts about famous people's dogs, but now we're taking it to the next level. And coming up with cryptocurrency, so more power to you people that are continually doing the damn thing with unlimited resources and even more unlimited time. <laughs> I wouldn't call unlimited resources. Never mind. We don't need to get into why cryptocurrency is bad. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to ask. I, I, the Singa is a uh, is like a Thai beer, right? So, like, yes. I can't think of any other alcohol sponsors on cars this year. And it's funny you mention that, Nick, because I was recently reading up on it because call it, I guess, the Jefferson City, Missouri Public High School Administration searing this rule into my head. But we were never allowed to wear anything that promoted alcohol or cigarettes, which makes sense. And as I was kind of just doing some digging, I know that all cigarette and tobacco products are now banned from having any sort of advertisement in formula one. And it was kind of crazy to me because as I did a little bit of digging on mission, when now I, for, or I didn't realize that they were a child company of Philip Morris, but I still can't figure out what exactly they do other than they seem to be a think tank of some sorts, but I don't know what they're thinking for or thinking, I guess, but that's a good point. I don't think we see as much alcohol sponsorship as we do, let's say comparing it to NASCAR, which it seems like every car has at least some sort of, of light in it <laughs> yeah and i think i think todd mentioned uh what is it velo is the one that's another velo, there's there's a couple there's a still handful right of them, yeah like Zima. velo and um god i just had it and i forgot it there's another like e-cigarette brand that sponsors uh one of the cars I'll look it up while you guys keep talking. I was surpri- I was just surprised to see that on there because it, like, it's the first one I just recognized. You know, I don't really know all the e-cigarettes and all the like, you know, the the parent company of parent companies that all the tobacco 
brains, you know, do to play in F1. But that was like one that was like, wow, that's actually just a beer. Like, <laughs> can't remember yeah. if that's on any other car. I, I can't off the top of my head, but it has been dwindling for sure. Because we used to have, well, I mean, this is way, way back when, but we had like a a Budweiser car, a Budweiser F1 car, I think in the 80s or 90s. Yeah. I mean, Johnny time. Walker and... Johnny Walker for sure. Yeah. No, I, that was one of the other weird legacies, if you will, of me watching Senna was just noticing how many random sponsors. And I truly use the word random because I think one of the other cars on the day that Ericsson Senna, Senna unfortunately had his crash was sponsored by MTV. And I think that might have been the other car that I don't remember the driver who passed, but he also had died on track that day. And the thing that was just kind of a weird thing to me is like MTV used to sponsor a Formula One car. Like this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. There's a video out there that's really interesting on some crazy sponsorships. But at one point, there was a diamond company sponsoring a car. And it was, I think, only for one race in Monaco. And they put like a, you know, 30 carat diamond in the nose of the F1 cars as like a mm-hmm. spectacle or whatever. And then one of them crashed and the diamond disappeared. I need to look into that story more, but it was like a several hundred thousand dollar diamond that just vanished Amazing. on the streets of Monaco or so accidentally does, vanished. Yeah. Does the brand views V-U-S-E? That's it. That's it. Yes. That, that's the one. But yeah, those are all owned by some big tobacco brand, I'm sure. So they're they're getting around. They're somehow funneling money into into F1. And I don't know if Mission, Mission Winnow or Mission Win Now, however you say it. Is still a part of the Ferrari team, but wouldn't surprise me if they have rebranded and are some other form of sponsorship there. But the new way to launder money into F1 is Bitcoin, which is what the rest of the world's doing because everybody has. Not only did Red Bull get the $100 million a year sponsorship from Oracle as their now title sponsor, they also signed like a Another hundred million dollar deal or something for that Bitsy, Bit, uh, Bitly something. It's on their front wing and it's very ugly. Wow. But uh, it's cryptocurrency. Pretty much every team has a crypto sponsor this year. Yeah, it's called Bybit. I oh, just looked it up. Bybit. Yep. There you go. They signed a hundred and fifty million dollar sponsorship deal with Red Bull. It's worth fifty million per annum, or one hundred fifty over the course of the three years. I'm surprised. I guess a hundred million gets you title sponsorship, and three hundred million gets you into the league, so to speak. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, how about how about this other non-sponsored but uh, lovingly called the what was the nick what was the bang what was the the type rainbow of unicorn. The rainbow unicorn. The rainbow bang. unicorn or Bangstaberry. Yeah. I know. Bang. It was really bang. sorry. No, it's I was the one unfortunately that made the comparison in Jess and look at that. The egg was on my face because when we saw both instances of the Alpine livery that were debuted last weekend, they both represented different flavors. Rainbow Unicorn was the one that I still remember. I couldn't figure out what the pink and blue one that we attributed it to. I want to say something like Rainbow Skedaddle. Oh, Oh, Rainbow Skedaddle. Skedaddle, yeah. 
Yeah. So still don't know what Bang Energy does, but uh, more power to them because they did what Rich Energy couldn't do, which is impact Formula One in the positive. In this case, inspiring two liveries by Alpine. My question to both of you is, which livery do you like more? The one that will be run for the first two races of the season, which is apparently an homage to Racing Point, or the more blue and pink W or BWT inspired livery that we think we all expected? Easily the pink one, right? Like, I don't think that's a question. It's just, regardless of color, the cohesiveness of, of the theme is better overall than the weird, like, blue car with the bulging pink side pods that look like that gives you the essence of that Bang Energy can. I mean, I'm am I alone in that? I think the pink yeah. one is hands down better. No, I, I'm with you. I think the pink one is significantly better. Yeah, I know it's really interesting because as much as I think it is equal parts cotton candy and South Beach Miami LeBron flavors, the pink works for me. I think really if Alpine is being honest with themselves, they should purposely just switch out and be like, oh, sorry, guys, the press releases were backwards. The one that's actually going to be there for the first two races will be the predominantly blue while we're going to stick with the Pink Panther logo for the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, and, and just to be clear, Bang Energy is not sponsoring a Formula One car, but <laughs> we're just saying that because it looks like Bang Energy cans. And I have to say, like, Bang Energy is like is like like the third class energy drink compared to like Red Bull, right? Like Red Bull at least kind of empowers people. Bang Energy is like Instagram models, a lot of Trump backdooring, like a lot of like just things that if people, you know, it's, I guess it's fitting for Formula One, right? It, it would be a perfect Formula One sponsor in that regard because you've got all this, like, you know, layers of, of covering your tracks kind of thing that goes on with the, with the cigarettes. No, exactly. And I know we kind of joked about it earlier, but crypto seems to be the perfect way to get paid in Formula One because like Formula One cars and my user profile is just full of hot air and it's extremely flashy, but we don't know if it'll be here in another five years. So, <laughs> I mean, if Bang Energy was a first tier energy drink, they'd have their own team. Yeah, so true. I would think they would have some sort of bus that would carry people to and fro, like the bank, but I'll see myself out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was I was going to say, yeah, they they they'd be the ones that would uh, that would, you know, what was the, I forget what they used to call like the women that stood on the grid, but like you know, used to have the have the girls on the oh, grid. Oh, like the, the umbrella girls. Umbrella girls, yeah, yeah, like they would totally be the team that like brought back like the. Let's say, let's say, like you know, slightly less than classy umbrella girls, the booth babes, if you will, of a previous era. Yeah, Just wearing, exactly. I mean, because that's yes, that's that's, a, that's who that's who's their sponsor in every day, in everyday life, right? So, I don't think I've ever seen somebody sponsored by Bang. So I'm looking at the wrong threads. No, or, as a married man, you're looking at the right threads. <laughs> no, as a married man, I'm looking for that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you, babe. This will be the last episode where all three of us will be here because this will be the one all of our significant others will hear and then promptly kick us out and forbid us from all hanging out again. Yeah. No, it's really funny. I guess simple tangent. I don't know if either of you guys do the show How To with John Wilson on HBO. It's a very nice documentary series about this guy living in New York who just has thousands and thousands of B hours of B-roll footage. And 
the new season started up, I want to say in September or November, and one of the trips eventually leads him to the Bang Owner's housing compound, and it's exactly what you think it is, is all I will say, but it's well worth the 30-minute deep dive to get there. Oh, I'm definitely checking that out. All right, well, let's, let's, I guess I should say, what do you think makes a team decide to unveil two colors, two liveries at the beginning of the season, right? Because it's only, it's only Alpine and McLaren, right? Nobody else did a Alpha too, I thought, right? Because the Digi Camo is also exclusive to a couple of races. No, that was no, strictly a, a testing, testing livery yeah. that they didn't. It's like when car manufacturers come out with a new car, they put the camo livery on it so you can't see the body lines as well, et cetera. Yeah. Mm. No, I think it's just selfishly, I think it's marketing, right? Like get both sets, get our pink set, get our blue set. Because as Fernando Alonso is one to tell you, he has 18 different commemorative hats to represent all the different races. So I think that's what it is, is you try to monetize everything you can in Formula One, much like a lot of these collectible hobbies, you pride yourself on having every piece of memorabilia to showcase how big of a fan you are. So I simply think it's that, but I'm sure there's more to that than meets the eye. Yeah, I think when it comes to Alpine or BWT, Alpine, whatever, I think it's strictly down to having BWT as a sponsor. Like yep. the pink car first happened when they were transitioning from Force India to Racing Point. Racing Point. Yeah. Um, and then I think them, you know, that they're very serious about their color, right? Pink is their brand color, pink, blue, white. Um, and maybe to in part of the deal from them going from Aston Martin to Alpine was like, we need some serious pink on this car. And they're like, okay, well, we're not going to give you an all pink car because we want to run the whole, you know, blue French Alpine color. We'll give you an all pink car for a couple races. And then we'll just put a lot of pink on the actual car. I mean, that's because I, I don't see that with any other team that has like a title sponsor. I, I don't know if like Oracle has like a company color or, you know, colors or branding in there or colors in their branding, whatever, but I think it's just a red. They logo. Just, yeah. They just literally just stamped it across. And it's, I don't even yeah. think it's red on the, the Red Bull. I think it's gray. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think it's just BWT being serious about their having that pink. It's just interesting that only two teams would do that. You know, like, I feel like I feel like we're coming into a new era with all of that anyway, right? Like it's kind of like the colors in the wheels. I think we're going to start seeing a whole lot more of all this type of stuff. You're going to see special liveries. You're going to see more, more. You know, like look, you're opening up to like more and more. To row its point, thirty new, thirty million new viewers this year. So, you know, that's a lot of uh, a lot of merch to be that's sold. A lot, a lot of a lot of variations. Because I think that's something that, like, you know, for me like the, the sports car teams that I follow, right. They have, when they were in Lamar and did, you know, art cars for Lamar, I bought all sorts of stuff f specifically for the, the art cars, right? Like they had three different variations or a few different variations actually over the years. But like, you know, to me, it's just like, cool. Like now's the time to buy it if, if you're going to do it. So 
it seems like a pretty good play in terms of like that side of the business too. That's a great point. Like the, um, the golf livery from the McLaren in Monaco last year, like I was absolute sucker for that just cause I love the history of golf livery cars dating back to Le Mans and all, all that. But that livery was so good. I bought a hat and a shirt from that collection just because I was like, yeah, I have to have that. And I hope that they have some special uh, livery like that that's based on the golf again this year. But that's a really good, interesting question that like now that F1 is owned by an American um, – uh, what are they? Venture capitalist group or whatever. A hedge fund. Hedge fund. Liberty, Liberty Media owns F1 now. And you're you're starting to see like the relaxation of a bunch of rules like that, because I don't think you could do special liveries uh, even a few years ago, like maybe four or five years ago, the drivers weren't allowed to change their helmets. I think, uh, yeah, maybe like five years ago. So maybe they're, and the social media presence, as we know, in the last four or five years has ramped up significantly. Totally. Um, So yeah, every, every team even has taken it next level with the social media, right? Like it was like clearly a, 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 you know, formula one wide initiative to like really get involved on social media compared to what they were doing. But to row its point, right. You know, I mean, Fernando Alonso and his Camoa brand, you know, his hats, he's done that. Lewis has had, you know, specific hats released at races. I don't know if he did last year, but, 2018, 19, like almost every race has a specific, you know, you know, color or theme to the hat that they sell for that race. And I mean, I know, I know that they all know this is a huge, you know, moneymaker. Um, but it's just interesting that, you know, thinking about the cars themselves, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know like about you guys, but like I have all sorts of, model cars and, you know, little die cast cars and, you know, just, just, I just buy them. Cause it's like, you know, a thing I like, I like to see them and be able to look at them and remember, remember that time, but throwing, throwing an extra livery out there or two, if, if, you know, if that's the case just makes it to where like, cool, I'm going to buy three of them this year for my favorite teams. I have a question for you guys, since you are much more entrenched in this before me kind of taking the leave a couple of years ago. What is Formula One's perception around some of its rules? Like, is it a golf type environment or attitude where it's a good old boys network and, you know, we have to follow the letter of the law and there can't be any sort of wiggle room? Because as you guys are kind of chatting, the vibe I get is it's very similar to the NBA when David Stern was commissioner, who kind of ruled with this iron fist and, you know, put in things like the dress code. And now Adam Silver's almost undone all of that. So the players can not only wear almost what they want to want wear at each game. But now he's even gone a step farther and taken it to the on-the-court performance where your sneakers no longer have to match your on-court apparel. So it seems like that's the approach that Formula One and Liberty Media is now taking. Would that be fair? Or are you guys envisioning still kind of having that good old golf mentality of, okay, certain things can never be changed because it ruins the integrity of the sport? Well, I think it's well-documented. Um, the previous F1 boss, chief, whatever you want to call him, Bernie Eccleston. He's the one that like took F1 in the 70s and blew it up into this like global conglomerate. Um, sure. And it was like, hey, I'm going to make you guys, your t- the teams, a ton of money. 
by doing this and got the broadcasting rights and there's documentaries and stuff on how that came about. Um, that documentary one life on the limit, which I shared with you two, uh, which we still have to talk about, uh, talks about that. But Bernie said when like in the early two thousands, when the internet was coming of age, he said like, that's nonsense. It's like a waste of time. The prime demographic for F1 is like 40 to 60 years old or something and completely was ignoring the youth. And since Liberty Media has taken over, um, yeah, they've, they've relaxed a bunch of good old boy rules like that. And they've even doubled down, like Nick was saying on probably making an initiative, like there's money to be made for everybody here you know, get a social media channel, put your brand out there, make your drivers lovable if, if you can. Uh, sorry, Haas. Um, about, you know, having them do silly games or like, you know, guessing games or cook food together or whatever. So, but back to Nick's point earlier, I would love to buy diecasts of Formula One cars if they weren't $500. <laughs> Yeah, I know gone. I ranted on this last podcast. No, no, rent away, rent away. So because... everything is so damn expensive. I looked. I was looking for the golf. Actually, recently I was looking again for the golf liveried Monaco car from last year, one eighteenth scale. So it's probably, you know, thirteen, fourteen inches long. So it's a big deck cast, but it's like five hundred dollars. I'm not buying that. And they didn't make a small one. So what the hell? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to go ahead. I was just going to say, Nick, it's a billion-dollar idea. Whoever wants to make moderately priced Formula One memorabilia, take with it. Take it with you. Do with it what you need. But come on. Not all of us are balling on that grandiose level. A lot of us are balling on a budget, so make it happen. Nick, you were saying. I mean, I think racing is just an expensive sport, right? Like you're you're selling a, a dream to a lot of people, right? As opposed to, you know, NASCAR, let's say being very much like, you know, going for the, the Walmart shopper kind of, you know, fan base. And I think, I think that F1 is slowly embracing, not even slowly, they're embracing like all this change. I mean, crypto is a great, is a great, you know, example of it, right? Like the fact that you're, you know, crypto is, in my opinion, crypto is is probably going to be a huge part of our future, right? We're seeing it even in the in the you know Russian invasion in Ukraine. They just you know opened up their um, Ethereum and and Bitcoin, like put out their public addresses, and people have been sending money to support Ukraine directly to them in a way that you could never do before, right? And those types of things are going to be you know. They're going to be game changing, right? You don't need a third party bank to to control anything. But I think too, like, there's a lot of risk in in you know, in taking on a sponsor from something that's so polarizing still. But also that that you know, to your point earlier, not all these people are going to be around. You know, like there's going to be failures, especially because it's a new world. It's a new thing. You know, that's how it works. Even if you go to, you know the early days of dot-com or, you know, the early days of anything, right? People jump in, think they got it figured out and they fail. 
but then they come around and they figure out the second time, right? Like you have to fail to, to get it right. And I think formula one embracing that kind of stuff, whether it's crypto, whether it's kind of the, the new social media, you know, kind of look and feel that all the teams have to me, all that stuff is, is like, is trying to appeal to a much younger demographic and get away from that, you know, Bernie Ecclestone era of like, you know, formula one, because you know, on the other hand, you've got a lot of young people making a lot of money right now compared to, you know, the way it was, I don't know, in the seventies, I doubt there was too many billionaire, you know, 25 year olds in the seventies where now you could have a, a dot com or an app or a crypto, you know, or NFTs and nobody knows who you are and you could be a billionaire. Like, right that's crazy, you know, compared to what it was then, where it was like, you had to be in real estate, you had to be in banking, you had to be in hedge funds, whatever it was in the seventies, you know, kind of, uh, it reminds me of, uh, you know, Wolf of Wall Street type of stuff, right? The, the people that played in that movie were established, been doing this, this is how we made all of our money. And then he comes in and is like, kind of flips it on its lid legally or illegally, I guess is debatable, but like, you know, kind of flips it on its lid and, and figures out a way to make a ton of money, which a lot of other people decided, Hey, you can make a ton of money doing this. And I think that's kind of where formula one is like, is smarter to be in at least receptive to all these young things, as opposed to, you know, like, look, look at how the, the Haas sponsorship, you know, with, with Mazepin is going, look at, we were just talking about, uh, Latifi and, you know, look at the, the negative association that we have with, even with somebody like Lance Stroll, you know, even though he's, he's deserving of the seat and he's an incredible driver, there's still a negative association because it's old money coming in. And yeah, it's old money that runs all of this, right? It's, it always will be, but from a, from a, you know, branding perspective and a marketing perspective, you want the young, hip, cool stuff to be like, how do you get, you know, the, the, the millionaire TikTokers to show up at formula one, because that's going to introduce, you know, the next, that's going to pay for the next 10, 20 years. If you get the right people involved, right. Mm -hmm. Have them do a oh, choreographed dance on the grid. Exactly. Please, I mean, we saw, we basically that. saw it at super bowl, you know, with all these people dancing on the cars of, you know, that's like the true. evolution of, 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 you know, like if you would have told Snoop and Dr. Dre that they were going to have people dancing on their Impalas in the middle of the Super Bowl, you know, you would have just like they would have just laughed at you back in the day because it would have been, you know, it didn't come from that place. But it's always that stuff that always brings new people in. You got to you got to be thinking out outside the box to, to get that audience yep. and to grow it, I think. So that's shameless. Plug. Anyway, that was long winded. Sorry. That's <laughs> good. I think one other thing I will say, uh, because to your point, we have a certain idea of what a race car fan looks like in America, and that's mostly NASCAR skewed or NASCAR centric. Meant to compare and contrast that, because I think Todd, it was you that said Formula One's expensive. It's expensive to get into if you're a driver. It's even more expensive to get into if you're a fan. And it reminds me a lot of the dynamic of how soccer global football is viewed. Ironically, it's the inverse because for the longest time, that sport was viewed as a white collar, orange slices in the morning, mom and PTA meetings that are happening on the sidelines. It's a rich kid sport, but 
it's the world's game in a lot of places in this world. All you need is the ball. So I thought that was the interesting dynamic between the two where you've almost kind of flipped it on its head. And I wonder, are we going to see a similar trajectory with the fandom of Formula One as we have with global football? So, Well, besides needing just a ball in soccer, you need um, a $100 million race car to participate in some Formula that's F1. Fair. That's so fair. Maybe I'm not. pretty sure that's in the same Unless Walmart. they start coming out with, you know, Free to play go karts in neighborhoods that are F one sponsored. Yeah, that'd be cool. That would be cool. <laughs> so you guys want to talk testing? Let's, Let's do, do it. it, Professor Yates. Talk to talk to us. Well, I know I want to get your guys' thoughts because I'm over here trying to decipher what we saw or didn't see in testing. Uh, big middle finger to F1 for not televising this session of or this round of testing, which wasn't a test, but they called it a test all weekend. But it was a shakedown, but it wasn't a shakedown. So I guess my first question is, will Bahrain be camera ready or is that also going to be behind closed doors, so to speak? No, yeah, Bahrain's going to be televised. And like I mentioned, shout out to the Discord, Sneaker History Discord. I will be hopefully streaming that on some level in the Discord. So everybody from the Discord, join join up chat let's chat about f1 i will say this i think the thing that is the most obvious is hey lewis seemingly has picked up where he left off where he had the fastest time and big surprise who was number two but the prince that was promised george russell i mean i think that is going to be the most interesting subplot is how does mercedes rebound from a second place finish for the first time in nearly a decade well they won the constructors right they still won as a team but it's just see, but for fairweather fans like me, that doesn't what construct what construct who? It's all about the drivers, baby. It's true. It is true. If the no, that, that drivers, is true. This is eight in a year for them, right? Yeah, eight in a row, which is just absolutely insane. And I hope that the results of this test are super wrong because they, I don't, I don't want to see Mercedes, Mercedes, Red Bull, Red Bull in that order. I want to see I want to see Checo get up, go up there and get. I'd like to see you know George get a, a winner here or two or there, but like Ferrari looked good minus the the porpoising, the the prancing Ferrari. So the, walk me through that. Was. What exactly happened there? Okay, like, what so, causes that? Yeah, I'm gonna try to explain this and with my minute brain. But so we talked about how these are ground effects cars, which they're bringing back from the 80s, early 90s. So what that means is <clears throat> the airflow, it's essentially like the um, upside down version of an airplane wing. So the air goes up over the car and creates an area of high pressure. The air going under the car creates an area of low pressure, thereby sucking the car down into the ground. That's um, how they create the downforce in these new cars. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. That's far. So what's happening is the car essentially is getting compressed into the ground so much that there's not enough room for the air to pass through. And the air is stalling at the rear of the car. Stalling mean, meaning that it's disconnecting from the airflow sure. pattern under the car. Uh, the air stalls then thereby the car loses its downforce so it uncompresses goes up a little bit then it catches that air again 
and compresses again. And it just is like a cyclical pattern. And that's what's causing the bouncing. If that made any sense at all. It did. So, I mean, I think that's one thing that I've always heard about is you want cars with great downforce. And my assumption what downforce meant was it's obviously the car that's closest to the ground and stays closest to the ground because that unlocks a higher level of speed. That is not is that even close. No. So the, the, the tires have a certain amount, like a, a pretty set amount of mechanical grip, right? And that's the rubber rubbing sure. against the rough surface of the track. That's like a limited or finite amount and it degrades okay. over, over time where a car, an F1 car gets its magic. Let's say is the fact that the air pressing the car down into the ground gives it that much extra grip, which is why they can go around like a big horseshoe bend at 170 miles an hour. Okay. So it That's, truly is magic. Yes, it is witchcraft. I don't, you know, I barely get it. Nick, you look like you're about to say something. I mean, you know, I, I, I think this is all kind of so early, right? Like this is what, this is what these sessions are for is for people to like work out these kind of things. And there's so much going on in these cars. Obviously not everybody's having the issue. So it's not something that can, it's not something that they can't fix in some way, shape or form. Some cars might, might have to deal with it more than others or, you know, maybe in more extreme ways than others. Um, but I think just in general, you know, they're like, this is relatively, there's not a lot of opportunity for, for the teams to, to test cars like this, right? Like this is like, it's pretty short. The, the amount of testing that goes in before the season starts. I mean, well, they're, they're obviously able to do a bunch of stuff, but like, I don't know. No, that's a, that's actually a great point is because now there's regulation in this cost cap era that we have. And there has been for a long time mm-hmm. that they're not allowed to take the cars out to test. They can't actually fit, take the physical cars out and test. They have to do everything in wind tunnels or CFD, which is computational flow dynamics, I believe. So like computer generated models of airflow. And mm-hmm. that's why that we have this porpoising problem is that they weren't allowed or they, they can't test it on even a full size car in a wind tunnel because they can't get the cars that close to the belt that the car is running on. Cause it would destroy okay. the belt. Yeah. So they, and, and like I said, they can't take the car out on a real track and, and test in a real world. They can do a shakedown day prior to testing one shakedown day. That's like to do footage, you know, camera, camera stuff of the car on track, but they're only allowed to go at 70% pace. So they can't even test it like full speed. And what does that mean? 70% pace, just the total miles per hour, kilometers per hour, or is there something else? Okay. Yeah. So like they'll have, and they, they don't do it like, Oh, you're only allowed to go, you know, 160 down this straight. They'll have like a time Delta and time Delta, meaning that if the expected lap around that track that they're testing on is one minute, they'll have to do a 70% time, like, you know, a minute 30 or whatever. I'm bad at math is on the, on the track. This does start to remind me of golf a little in terms of how minute the details are 
and how everything does have that quantifiable edge that it has to match. And I'm sure there are people on the track that are representing the FIA that are sticking to it with a stopwatch or whatever the equivalent is instead of a stopwatch, because that is something really interesting to me, especially at the point that you called out of, there's no way to discover this problem until you put the car to the track. And I think, I think the porpoising was, was, if I remember right, like 240 kilometers or 250 kilometers, like, you know, so you wouldn't really even experience it on a shakedown day. Like, you know, you're not going to get up to that speed ever if you're only running 70%, if you're, if you're, you know, limited to 70%. So it's definitely an interesting, you know, phenomenon, I guess, but like we've seen it before. And I just think that, you know, these guys are the best engineers in the world. There's, there's relatively no chance of us seeing that in an actual race, you know, maybe a minimal amount. Right. But like by three races into the season, we won't even be thinking about it. So this is like in the NBA or the NFL where there's a lot of holding uh, penalties in the preseason. And then when the actual season happens, we don't care because, hey, football's back. I guess I will use that as a segue to ask you guys, does that change your opinion of Ferrari at all? Because I know I think we've all kind of tabulated them as our unofficial second teams of the year, despite our McLaren fandom in the middle and the right portion of the screen. But I think everybody has a vested interest in Ferrari, and I'm really hoping that, to Nick's point, this is something that we can laugh about midway through the year. Be like, hey, remember when there was porpoising? <laughs> yeah, I, I think to, to what Nick said earlier, like I don't think that we'll see this may, not maybe a little bit, but I don't think by the time the first race happens in Bahrain, I think they'll have it figured it out. As Nick mentioned earlier, also it this isn't the first time this has been a problem. Like ground okay. effects cars existed in the seventies or the, the eighties and nineties. Um, so they, they are aware that this happens. Um, I did think it was funny that like certain, a few teams were like just straight up, like cutting holes in their floors and stuff to like just DIY a fix on the track. Um, but I don't think it's going to change to like, to your question, it doesn't really change my, opinion of Ferrari because they looked good, you know, looked good in the corners. They looked fast on the straights. And even with their big porpoising problem that we saw that footage of in day two, um, they still did the most laps. So like, obviously this isn't having an effect on reliability. And that's one of the main, main names of the game for F1 is like, is your car going to break in half (laughs) at some point because of this? So um, they were highest on the lap count and I still think they're going to be in the mix fighting for that championship. I mean, I think too, like Leclerc and Sainz were both in like the top five, I think on like two or three of the days. Right. So um, to me, it's like not even a, it's not even a question as like, is it an issue? Right. Like the team that had the most significant porpoising was one of the fastest teams out there and did the most laps. So, yep you know, they'll figure it out. And if they can't, for some weird reason, you know, they'll cut holes in the floor. (laughs) No, maybe it's their version of the Deion Sanders high stepping as they, yeah, I think the interesting thing about like the, about, you know, looking at the results from testing, right? Like you can, you know, to Todd's point, I don't want to see Mercedes and Red Bull in the top four spots. Like I want Lewis to win another title. 
I don't care if Mercedes wins another constructor title ever. You know, like I'm not like a crazy Mercedes fan, but I'm not like it's just it's not exciting to see the same team win as long as they have, right? Mm-hmm. But I also think that it's really interesting that Sebastian Vettel was fifth all three. I think it was all three test sessions, which I just would not have expected that. If you if you would have just said blindly pick the top ten drivers for each day, I don't think Sebastian Vettel would have been maybe an eight eight or a nine or a ten for me uh, on one or two days. But to see him consistently at five was like whoa. What's going on over there? Uh, maybe the German, like Dirk, still has some fight in his game. What I was going to ask, because when you guys talked to me about testing, my mind simply went to the fact that, okay, everybody's just testing out the layout of the car. I never even thought about the component of the stress testing component of this, which is, hey, we're trying to just put in as many laps as we can because we do want to see the durability and the endurance of these cars. And that's crazy to me because when you look at the spreadsheets and you see some of these guys have gone upwards of 150 plus laps in single day sessions, like this seems to be as important of a day. It's not preseason as we come to find out. And from an American sports perspective, which is, yeah, just don't get hurt and make sure the car gets through. Cause that's what my thought was. It's just like, put a fast time down and don't break the car. This is not that in a way you kind of want to break the car. or You at least kind of want to understand where your pain points are because you do need to tighten it up for that season, which is to Todd's point, only three weeks away. Yeah, that's, um, First, going off of what Nick said, I literally didn't realize that Seb was fifth all three days. That's a bit surprising. I know like the the times are almost nonsensical. Like we don't know what like how much fuel they had in the car. We don't know what their run plan was. We don't know exactly what they were testing out, um, you know, either setup or or you know, race plan or whatever. But like the times still matter on some level, like bragging rights, if you want. And from my understanding, the especially on day three when their car caught fire, like Aston did didn't have a terrible test, but it wasn't great. They had, you know, issues with the porpoising, and I can't remember if it was them or Alpine or Alpha. It was definitely an A team that cut holes in their floor, but they had, um, uh, they had like some rough spots in their test and they did like decent laps um, overall, but I wouldn't call it a great test. So to see Seb up there uh, putting on some pace is actually, that's pretty awesome. And that, like, I would love nothing more than Sebastian, all the, all of a sudden to be fighting and like, you know, maybe the top six, every race, that'd be amazing. Yeah. He just deserves it. He's an awesome yep. person. That'd be awesome. No, this also makes me want to do that draft episode. We need to get somebody else on there because I think it, a draft works great with four of us because there's 20 drivers and we all get five to pick from or we just reduce the number of drivers we all pick. But I would love to see where Sebastian kind of ends up in our collective driver power ranking because I still think he's a top 10 driver. His car may not be there, but he's shown in, at least in the two years that I've started watching the sport that he can truly get the most out of his machinery. It doesn't matter if it's a Ferrari level with or without the powerful engine or even a almost an expansion team, if you will, or a reboot when it comes to Aston Martin. So, yeah, well, I think we're all big Sebastian Battle fans here. Yep. I think the other thing to point out, too, was that going back to the porpoising conversation, right? McLaren seemed to have a pretty, let's say, above average 
testing, right? But they had absolutely none to the point where people were asking what the secret was. And this morning I read a thing that basically was like, you know, them, them admitting that they had no idea what it was that, that prevented the porpoising. But they were like, you know, they would love to say that they knew what it, know exactly what it was, but it was really just kind of, it worked out that way. The car didn't have the issue. And, you know, for the most part, at least that was one thing that went, you know, 100% smooth for them. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I read that same thing that James Key was getting interviewed. He's the technical director of, of McLaren, for those that don't know. Um, and after reading that, I'm a bit scared. I got to be honest. I'm glad you brought that up because, <laughs> like, the porpoising thing can happen at any time, right? So if they make some sort of tweaks in other areas, that could affect their car in such a way that it creates that porpoising effect. And then they're starting weeks behind these other teams um, that, you know, have been researching it this whole time. So I'm hoping that they're trying to find out their best damn way they can, why their car isn't doing it or why other cars were because they, I, like you mentioned, they had a pretty above average test, like Lando going fastest on P1. He even made a joke about it. Like, on on uh twitter i th i think i saw like man everybody's going to be all hyped They're like way over hype us because i'm p1 i'm kind of mad about finishing p1 that day like you got you got to love him cuz he's just like a goofy kid about it but um yeah it's kind of scary that they their test almost went too well but the, even like mercedes which ended up day 3 on top had a, like a decent amount of like the porpoising problem and they were able yeah. to kind of tune it out of the car, but McLaren had almost none and they, you know, weren't the fastest. So a little, little scary. So I guess a billion dollar question for the both of you, has this recent round of testing inspired any new hot takes that you would like to add to our burgeoning collection from episodes past? I mean, I feel pretty confident on my hot takes, but but I'm I'm gonna just reiterate. Like, I think Ferrari is gonna be a force to be reckoned with this year. I think, you know, it's gonna be a really great year to watch Formula One. I don't think that Mercedes and Red Bull are gonna be as dominant as they have been. And if you put Ferrari in there, and if if this testing is not a fluke from McLaren. And Seb somehow is just consistently like nobody's paying attention and he's in the middle of the pack at five at fifth on the grid, you know. This is gonna be an amazing year of racing if that if all of those things are not like just flukes over the past few days. I, I wish Todd, how about you? Well, <laughs> now that you bring it up, I kinda wish that we had like all saved our hot takes on like a shared document so I could secretly edit mine because one of my hot takes was that Botas was going to qualify on the podium at least twice. And if we're looking at the stats again, the times don't mean everything, but not only did alpha alpha Romeo have probably one of the two worst test sessions, them and Haas, um, but Botas was last, like out of every driver's fastest time over the course of the three days. The only person slower than Botas was Robert Kubica, who was a reserve driver. 
So not awesome. Not looking good for my hot take there, my prediction. Um, but yeah, it's it's looking really rough for not only Alfa Romeo but Haas at this point, which is you know kind of a bummer. Now I was gonna say I've got the hot takes up because I for some reason had the foresight to put them on a sticky note. So my three teams will score zero points is looking good. I just need Williams to screw the bed, but I don't know. Maybe Alex Albon will get them some points. So maybe only two teams will have no points this season. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. I still can't make heads or tails of who's good or who's not, but maybe that's the whole point of this testing is to make sure that if you have a good car, you want to make sure it's a good car. And if you have a great car, you want to downplay it a lot. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a cat and mouse game and, you know, I feel like all the teams don't want to show, you know, their full hand at, at you know, unless they have to, right? So, right. you know, there's there's just so many variables and so many things that are going to get tweaked and changed and, you know, but that's also what makes it fun, right? Like, that's going to be the best part about the first few races of the year, right? It's going to be like a free-for-all. And then we're going to see, like, who who's not just you know, got the luck of the draw. And the best part about that is that, I mean, thinking back to last year, uh, our boy Lando had like a pretty amazing start to the season. I think he had three P3s in the first five races or something like that. He was keeping up. Yep. Yeah. And then the development race kicked in and we saw McLaren trail in the last half of the year after the summer break. So even if a team starts the year really bad, it doesn't mean they're going to end there. But I think we're, I hope we're looking at exciting racing up and down the grid. I'd like to see a, you know, a very intense battle for P3 and the same thing, a very intense battle for P18 because it's, you know, whatever makes exciting racing makes exciting racing. Uh, I did hear, I was listening to another podcast and I heard, um, Charles Leclerc talk about how um, you know if the new regulations really set or you know got done what they were setting out to do and that's closer racing and he described it in a very interesting way so he said from about three seconds behind a car to one and a half seconds behind a car it felt a, a lot better than before because we talked about this a little bit but following a car in front of you in an F1 car, you lose a lot of downforce. You can't go as fast as them. You chew up the tires faster, et cetera, et cetera. But he said between three seconds and one and a half seconds, it was, uh, you know, generally better than, than it was following a car was before. And then from, I think it was one and a half seconds to a half second. It was actually a fair amount worse, which you have to be, you have to be within one second to use DRS to get that pass done generally in, uh, in mm-hmm. F one. So that was really interesting to hear that it was, it felt worse to him, but then he said, once he got within a half second to like extremely close behind, you know, a couple of tenths, it was just heads and tails above you know, head and shoulders above better, uh, about getting, you know, following at that close, closer range. So it's, I have really no idea what to make out out of this test. I'll be really excited to see what I can see with my own eyes, as opposed to getting it downloaded through um, a bunch of different journalists and fans and stuff, whoever was attending the first test. Uh, but 
Yeah, I think I I shared Nick's optimism that we're looking at a really good year of F1. Perfect. Now, I will say my next and last question, because we are running up around that hour mark that we like to end our episodes with. We are two weeks away, roughly, from Formula 1's Drive to Survive Season 4. Do you think we get the trailer this week? Because I have never been more excited to view an upcoming season's trailer in terms of trying to figure out what's going to be the narrative and the tone of which that controversial ending that we reference at least once an episode is going to be like, because it is ultimately the official look at the season before. I think we see it this week. I have a feeling they're going to wait to drop it until the week before. I don't know why. But in in news about that, apparently Zach Brown, the CEO of McLaren, leaked a little bit of details about Drive to Survive and did say that McLaren are the subject or focus of Episode 2 and Episode 7. So take mm. that for what it's worth. I got really excited because, you know, we got – couple of mclaren centric episodes but we'll, yeah. see, we'll see what happens yeah i'm hoping either next week we all do our our each each of our own 10 episodes season four what it looks like <laughs> or we do the draft yeah yeah i think that'd be awesome all right well you know what we we gotta do we gotta do the uh we gotta read the reviews next time forgot about that but uh, oh, if you're enjoying the podcast now that we're this is episode 10. So now that we're 10 episodes in, let us know what you think about it. Give us some feedback. Leave us a review. iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's called now, pretty much anywhere, you know, you can find us. Leave us some feedback. Make sure you're following us. Exhaust Notes FM on Twitter and Instagram uh, and TikTok, even though I haven't done anything on there yet. And then uh, you can check out all the other episodes, exhaustnotes.fm. But that's pretty much it for me. Uh, guys, let them know how, to, how they can f- connect with you outside of the podcast. RoadM13 on IAG, uh, IG and at Roheasy on Twitter. That's at Teasy on Instagram and at HackJandy11 on Twitter. And I want to say shout out to Scott McLaughlin for the fantastic race today in IndyCar. Very nice. All right, you can find me at Nick Kingfall on all the platforms. Uh, and you can catch us all in the Sneaker History Discord if you want to chat with us between episodes, between races, between Drive to, Sub- Drive to Survive episodes. And we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Later. Leave us a review.